Tony and Contrera, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the new position as the head lacrosse coach at Gilman. Thank you very much. Really excited to get going. What are your What are your visions and thoughts about the program, and what was it like for you coaching this year with the varsity, coaching with Coach Nostrand and the rest of the coaching staff, and just being kind of welcome into the Gilman community this past season? It's been awesome. This this past year was amazing. Getting to coach with Coach Nostrand, I, I was supposed to, I was set up to coach with him last year, um, and coach with the rest of the staff last year, but the job I was currently in, I wasn't able to, to manage that. So being able to get out there with the guys this year and, and work with them, to really see them grow from March and through May was, was a lot of fun. And I feel like the community here is amazing. They really are passionate about lacrosse, which is, which is I, I mean, I feel like I'm able to fit right in there with that because I love it and I love working with the kids and coach with them day in, day out. Um, and also joining a staff that has such amazing coaches, um, that were great players and are great people. I'm very fortunate to be here. Where did your love for lacrosse begin? Like, when did you fall in love with the game, and how did you get involved with it as a as a kid? Um, I started playing in seventh grade. That was my first year playing. I played Howard County Rec for two years, seventh grade, eighth grade, and I went to Mount Hebron High School and um, really fell in love with it during that time. Um, I was at Mount Hebron and then continued on to Salisbury. Um, my passion for lacrosse really grew, and I knew that – I think I knew in high school I wanted to finish up um, – when I finished up school, I wanted to go and be a teacher and be a coach um, and coach for as long as I possibly could. You knew that in, you knew that in high school? I did. I really? did. I thought I was going to be a math teacher. My math teachers thought differently. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, history was something that became a passion for me. Um, how, did, how did you start to like history? When did that start up? I guess – Really, I guess when I was younger, the History Channel actually had history shows on it. Uh, and a lot like the like the president's shows and there was, there was so much other stuff that was on the History Channel that was that was just really enjoyable watches. So I think I, I started liking it then and then going into college. Um, I've always enjoyed reading. So the history books just became something that I, I turned to and I've, I've really enjoyed. Hmm. Did you have um, did you have a specific teacher or someone that influenced you in in history or was it really just on your own watching those History Channel? I feel like I share this passion with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really into history. Um, I think his dream would have been to retire and be like a history professor at a small school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, instead, he's retired and he's uh, his pa- he's exploring his passion with pickleball. So he's I think he's I think he's happier there. <laughs> so am I. I love pickleball. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It is great. It's the fa- it's the fastest growing sport yeah. in the country right now. It, it overtook lacrosse. It I did. Think. It did. It's, but it's not the fastest game on two feet. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Who um, who were some of your coaches early on in the sport of lacrosse? Who introduced lacrosse to you? And were you playing baseball up until seventh grade? So, or? yeah, I, uh, I moved to Maryland in third grade. So I missed, like, the like the first few years where all the kids were playing. And I, and I, I loved baseball. I was always I was always into the stats and um, I was a big baseball card collector. Never had anything of note, but I always loved collecting baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stuck with baseball, but I was terrible at it. I couldn't like throw it to third base. I'd throw like t- ten feet over the third base. I'm sorry, <laughs> throw it, like ten feet over the first baseman's head. Ended up in right field a lot, but uh, I couldn't hit the ball. So lacrosse became the thing that I turned to, and it was it was more active. Um, 
I always enjoyed it. Pete Yim was one of my first coaches. Um, I had Pete, who was, I think he was a high school senior. So he was a volunteer coach. Um, he may or may not have been completing some community service um, through the, <laughs> from Howard County as a, as a coach. But he really, he turned me on to it. He was very passionate about it. He loved, and he loved working with kids. He was really good at it. He was 18 years old and he was coaching eighth graders and he he was a great coach great teacher of it and I, I carried on through playing in high school for Jeff Doolin and Steve Benninghove who were legends at Mount Hebron um, and then going to college and playing for Jim Berkman at Salisbury was was huge uh, at that point it was kind of like a crossroads for me I wasn't sure if lacrosse was going to be the thing that I was going to continue on with uh, but once I met coach Berkman and met the guys that that he coached was something that I, I didn't want to ever give up. So I definitely want to talk about Salisbury and Coach Berkman, but it's pretty impressive that Pete Yim was one of your first coaches as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did he continue on? Did he become a coach somewhere? Is he coaching? Cause he, he sounds is... like he was pretty talented at such a young age. <laughs> he um, He's a volunteer assistant coach at Mount Heaven right now. So he's he's – you know, in the private sector, he's a, he's very busy as far as what his day-to-day job is. But anytime, any chance he gets, I know he gives back and he, he tries to coach. Did you start off playing defense, or did you play all over the place? Or when? I was a midfielder in yeah. seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, I was one of the bigger kids, so they had me play defense. Hmm. And then what, what was your decision like to commit to Salisbury and continue on playing in college? What went into that process and that decision? Um. So I, I had some looks from Division One schools, but it was one of those things where, like, I was, uh, you know, you go. I could, I could have gone to a Division One school and played there, um, but I don't think we would have competed at the same level. Like, it wasn't one of the top dogs. It wasn't, it wasn't a place where you'd be compete, competing for a national championship every year. So Salisbury was someone that pursued me, and they, um, and they pursued me hard, and it was something that it was it was flattering. Um, but also, I went down there. It's, it's local. It's a state school in Maryland. It's affordable, and they have an incredible lacrosse tradition. Mm-hmm. So, getting that chance to go there and play for Coach Berkman, who, um, yeah, he is he has an incredible resume. But even at that time, in I guess it was the summer of 2000, when I was being recruited, he already had three national championships, and he had only been there for I guess nine years. I think 91 was his first year there. I'm not sure exactly what year his first year was, but he had been there for either a decade or a little over a decade, and he already had three national three national titles. Um, and, he, and he just, he is, she's just a great coach, everything about him. like He tells you straight up where you are, where you stand, what you need to do, and it's up to you to, to make those decisions to, to get better. Um, now I spent three years there standing on the sideline watching because I wasn't doing those things to take myself to that next level. Um, and it took, you know, it took just some maturity on my part to, to know what I had to do uh, to get out on the field and, and contribute to the national championship teams that we had. And you were in three, na- you won three national we champions. Did, yeah. Wow. So we lost, we lost five games my freshman year. We won 13 to five. We were getting hate mail from the alumni <laughs> <laughs> because we weren't living up to the expectations. Um, but we were a very young team. We had a lot of freshmen and sophomores that were, that were getting significant time, um, kind of like the Gilman team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, but there was that expectation that the alumni established that you should be competing in the national championship. I, I 
I believe we, we lost in the quarterfinals to Gettysburg that year. They had a goalie, McGinnis, that went on and played at Maryland, um, I think two years later. That was that was outstanding. That carried them. And actually, Pete Milliman was their attackman that year, who's now the head coach of Johns Hopkins. Hmm. Um, they were they were they were a very good team, and they beat us twice that year. That that second game, I felt like we kind of outplayed them, but McGinnis played out of his mind, and um, they, they were able to beat us. But the next year, we we came back. We came back with just about everybody, um, and we lost one game. That was and that was like April fifteenth, two thousand three. Was the last time we lost when I was yeah. there. Wow. So tell me about the culture and the environment at Salisbury when you were there and maybe what kind of what kind of culture Berkman establishes the head coach because he seems like he really had a pulse on what it what it took to be successful as a program. He had so much success early on in his coaching career there and especially when you were there. What did he do specifically that made him such a powerful coach, do you think? I mean, I think a big thing and the thing that set him apart from some of the other schools I looked at was that nothing, nothing that you did in the offseason was required. Um, and he relied upon his, his leaders to push their teammates to get better. Um, but also he relied upon individuals that didn't need pushing, that, that had that internal drive, that, that wanted to get better. Um, and, that, and that's what really, I think, set our teams apart from other teams. Like there, no one dreaded going to going to practice every day mm-hmm. uh, because you really you made that choice to to go to practice to spend the time in the offseason to get better to put yourself in a place where you can succeed and contribute um, and I think he like part of his genius is putting so much on the kids the kids have to have to make that decision for themselves I mean not really kids at that point right you're you're an adult but you're, you're making a, a decision that you want to be you want to be a player. You want to be a contributor. You want to be a leader. Um, you make that cho- you either opt in or you opt out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kept me on the team for three years. Why I, I I opted halfway in, um, but you know I I've matured enough going into my senior year where I was able to contribute to that team as well. So I mean, it's and you respect that. You respect the fact that he was open with you, honest with you, told you where you stood, mm-hmm. um, and you knew that. You either deserved to play or you didn't deserve to play. Did it seem like everyone on your team when you were there like loved him as a coach, or was it really after people graduated that they started to think about his impact? Because I, I just think about my own career and how much time you spend with your coaches mm-hmm. and how much criticism and, and crap you have to take from your coaches on a daily basis. And, you know, they're, they need to win. And,. You know, you as a as an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old are mm-hmm. are the reason for them to to do well or not, and so a lot is on your shoulders. So it's right. very hard. I, I just find it I find it interesting when college players say that they really love their their coaches because there's it's, it's just so much time you're spending with someone, and so much yeah. is on the line that it, it's it's really a lot of the time it's hard to to love a, a head coach, but it, it must be something about Berkman that really rubbed off on his players and made him a legendary coach. And he's, you can't argue with his, with his success, right? Like he's, he's been very successful. Uh, everything is always done as a triathlete, as a player, as a coach, he's always been successful and there's a method to what he does. And, and he, he establishes those clear expectations of you. Um, 
but yeah, I love him as a coach. And I had Jay Owen, who was also the defensive coach there, is now the head coach at Wittenberg University in Ohio, who was he was very relatable. He was a player's coach, someone that worked with you, was honest with you, but also wanted to see you succeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, they, they were just great guys, great coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd follow them anywhere, anywhere you wanted them to, or anywhere they asked you to go, you'd follow them there because you just, you trusted them. Um, and I think that's part of probably his recruiting was recruiting guys that he knew he could trust and he could, he could rely on. So while he did put a lot of us, a lot of it on us as players, I think he, he recruited guys and he kept guys on the team that he knew he could put that on, hmm. which you know, it's tough because, you're, like you said, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, sometimes 23, 24 years old. Yeah. 25 uh, if you're playing today. You've you got your COVID <laughs> yeah. year. Yep. yep. You're absolutely right. But it's really scary if you're a coach and you're, and you're basing your successes and your, and your failures on that age group of boys. Mm-hmm. And that's... Yeah, especially with, there are a lot of distractions in college, and yeah. just to keep everyone focused on yeah. like w- winning, winning mm-hmm. a national championship, and it was probably maybe easier for him to do that, having won before and recruiting you and your class right. with three championships under his belt already. But mm-hmm. still, like keeping everybody pointed in that one direction, aiming at the same goal when when you're not playing, or when when you have other distractions, right. when you have school, when you have other things going on it's really hard to maintain that focus throughout an entire season starting right. in January going to well starting at the beginning of the year really right. beginning of the school year yeah fall ball yeah fall ball right. go home in the winter mm-hmm. you're on your own then you have oh, to come yeah. back it's it's a full year process absolutely um, it's easy to lose guys along the way and i think that's that's one thing i think about when kind of giving advice to players that are going to play in college is, is just look at like Try to figure out how many guys on the team have stayed mm-hmm. on the team for four years. Because I know I know I know a lot of guys that started out, they got injured, they didn't like the coaches, something happened and they left the mm-hmm. team. And if you can find out how many guys have done that, have left the team for whatever reason, I think it I think it says something about the program. Oh, because yeah. if you can withhold and retain all of your guys throughout four years, I mean that that's a that's a culture that sticks together and doesn't let guys really leave that easily. Absolutely, and I was class of class of '05 and the class of '04. Um, the, year, the class that came in the year prior to me. I think those were those were two very large classes, and we probably lost. There probably were like five guys between those two classes that left for whatever reason, whether it's too far, they're unhappy with playing time, or they just didn't really see themselves ever getting on the field. Um, but, but yeah, he, he established a culture where guys wanted to be a part of the team. I mean, we were, we were the team in Salisbury. We didn't really have, um, competition as far as like who was the biggest or best team on campus. It was us. Um, so it's a lot of fun being that team, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, there was, um, we got along with most of the other teams and we enjoyed, you know, we, we found the time to enjoy ourselves. And like, and I think part of what coach Berkman did as far as, um, not making mandatory, having mandatory workouts in, in the winter or having these early morning lifts that everyone had to go to, you know, you lift on your time when you have the time you, you get into the gym and you, you know, you follow a routine, you do what you need to do to get bigger, stronger, faster. Um, but, He's not going to say everyone on the team has to be here at this time. We're going to have our strength and conditioning coach in there screaming in your face, 
to do this, it's going to be, um, really, it's going to be like your internal motivation is what's going to propel you forward. Now, when you were coming in as a freshman, was that expected by the seniors and the upperclassmen? Was that part of the culture is that everyone was to go to those, um, those optional workouts and, and stuff? Or was, was that... Yeah. Was it really on your own as you know, as a freshman, sophomore? You're kind of just following the group, or they tried a few times. I was a uh, was pretty weak in the squat department, so uh, there, <laughs> there were a few attempts to get me and a couple other, a couple other guys in there in the morning to to get some get like a leg workout in. We did that sometimes, but it wasn't. It was like you're going to do it when you can do it, um, but like we weren't going in with thirty other guys to work out. You're going in with a couple buddies to get your workout in. So it was never in mass, like, and, and guys just like grinding and, um, and, you know, annoyed about having to be there. Mm. Um, and I think that that made it so that when, when I guess February hit and the season began, you're excited to go, or I guess it was end of January when, when we get going and we go January to May and like the expectation was you're going to play till Memorial day. Mm. Um, but you played, everything we did was high energy. So like the style of play that he, promoted was a high energy level of play which is which was a lot of fun and and practicing that you're not like standing in line waiting for drills to go you're getting up and down the field and um you know trying to force odd man situations or exploit odd man situations and um you know score goals make stops and get going the other way do you remember that shift in energy from high school to college being hard to adjust to um or just the pace of the game from high school to college being an adjustment for you as a player yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely an adjustment. You know, you're, you're playing against kids that are they're not kids; they're, they're grown adults. Mm-hmm. You know, 22, 23 year olds um, trying to push those guys out or fight for a ground ball with a guy that that's got three years of college and thirty pounds on you. It's tough. Yeah, um, but other guys. I mean, we had freshmen. We had a, our goalie. I think he started he started every game besides one for all four years. You know, as a freshman, he came in from Severna Park, and I mean, I think he's he's got to be the all-time um, wins leader in Division Three history, if not all of college history. Hmm. Uh, Dan Corpon, he's uh, but I mean, there, yeah, that 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 change was was definitely pretty significant. Hmm. But I played for a guy in high school that so Jeff Doom played for Berkman. He was on the '94 team that won the championship. So a lot of like the the calls and a lot of the things that we said and did like the heart intelligence together came from, I got it from Doolin who got it from Berkman and then I went to Salisbury and Berkman was still doing it. So it's always been something that's been with me. And that was his motto, heart intelligence together, together. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that was, uh, so I've had that since 1997 or 98. <laughs> and do you say that when you're coaching? You yeah. Say- it's like something that we, like when we break down the huddle, uh, we did that with the defense this year. So it's heart until HIT hit. So that's yep. how we break it down. So what, after you finished playing in college at Salisbury, what really inspired you to continue with the game of lacrosse? And what, why do you want to continue and get into coaching as a profession? Um, I've always, I've always liked working with kids and, and, uh, and being on the sideline coaching kids. But when I, when I graduated from Salisbury, I, was enrolled in an M8 in a master's of teaching program through Towson. And so I was going to be doing my, um, I guess my in-class experiences were going to be in Howard County. So 
it was in like the Columbia area, so I was going to help out with a school in Columbia. My brother was a senior at Mount Hebron at the time, or he was going into his senior year in 06. So um, the coach there, Tom Menard, um, invited me to join the staff in 06. So I was able to catch on, um, coach with coach with uh, Coach Menard, Mike McCarthy, um, Mike Tisworth, and a few other guys, and we had a great experience there in 06 and won a, won a state championship. Um, so it was, it was really cool. I was able to coach my brother. Tommy, who was the player of the year in Howard County his senior year, was able to be on, be on the sideline silent with him, and I moved on to Marriott's Ridge the following year when my brother Danny was a junior. Hmm. So just the opportunity to coach my brothers was was huge in, in, um, in that decision to stick around with lacrosse and especially stay in Howard County. And what was it like going back to your high school and starting at Marriott's Ridge as kind of a recent graduate, um, coaching for the first time really right. at, at a higher level? So, so Hebron was, was one thing that was, I mean, I was, I was like the fourth coach on that team. Um, and then going to Marriott's Ridge the following year, that was the first year that team had a varsity program. So we had no seniors in the school. Hmm. Um, so the oldest kid, my brother was in that first grad class from Marriott's Ridge. And so it was seven, he was a junior and we were, I mean, we were small. We were, we were, we were, uh, we were not that talented, but. Actually, there was talent. We just weren't that mature. Uh, we ended up winning the region, which was a surprise and was totally unexpected. Um, but the kids were they were just great kids and it made you want to stick with it. I was able to coach with Dan Sageman, who was um, the founder of the program at Marriott's Ridge, and he kept me on as his assistant for his for the entirety of his stint there. So it was a lot of fun to work with the defense there and, and coach my brother for two years. Um, and how do you Continue think? He, how do you think he de- developed as a coach in those early years coaching, and like who really mentored you or showed you the ropes in in coaching, and how did you kind of up your up your gain over those few years, uh, just starting starting out? Um, so as far as like the, my mentors in those few years, like Tommy Menard, who was the head coach at Hebron, um, and then came back. To Marriott's Ridge, we coached together for a number of years, both as assistants, and then he was my top assistant while I was head coach. Um, so he, he, I mean, he's been the biggest influence um, as far as coaching high schoolers go. Um, I mean, Jim Berkman is like the legend, and he's the guy at the top of the mountain that everyone strives to be like. Um, but as far as working with high schoolers, Menard has, you know, no one really can match him. Um, in my book, but then guys like Mike McCarthy that I coached club with for a long time, and I co- he's the head coach of Mount Hebron now. Um, we coached together, coached together at Mount Hebron in '06. Um, he, he was he's a great offensive mind, really good leader leader of uh, high school boys, and um, and more recently Jimmy Jimmy Creighton, who's the head coach at Howard, is someone I played with at Salisbury. Um, just an outstanding coach. Um, also on the offensive side of the ball, but he's someone that is a, he, he taught me a lot as far as being a program director goes. Um, what goes into like organizing off season, what goes into organizing off season program, establishing goals and uh, for your teams and how he handles himself with parents and players and, you know, all aspects of it. He's someone that um, kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Coach Nostrant. Uh, really good at building relationships, um, really good on the sideline, working with the guys. Um, and, he, and he establishes uh, he, Howard went from being an also ran to being a perennial power in Howard County. So I mean he's, you know, and it's it's his it's the culture that he built there that that really allowed him to do so. 
When you say Menard taught you a lot about how to relate to high school boys, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? How is he so kind of influential to high school boys as a coach? Yeah, he's, um, that's a good question. How is it? He's just he's very open with them. You know, he his door is always open to them to to come in talk about you know what's going on, not just on the field, but also what's going on at home, what's going on you know in your day to day life. Mm-hmm. Um, Kids always feel like they can they can go to Coach Menard to, to talk to him and you know you know you have kids like sitting there in the office and kids will be in tears talking about you know their relationships either at home or with guys on the field mm-hmm. um, and he's he's really good at many of those relationships getting the most out of his kids um, and, and kids really love playing for him and he he gives the kids enough freedom to feel like they have. Um, a considerable amount of say, but also he gives them the the framework around for them to be successful. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about um, being a teacher and a coach at the same school is you get to know, uh, because I taught a lot of the lacrosse players that we coached Mm -hmm. in class this year, and I just felt like those boys, especially those juniors this year, I got to know so much better from seeing them in class and having mm-hmm. like deeper level conversations with them in the classroom that I could then relate to them a little bit more right on the field. Yeah, I feel like that's the one thing I missed this year was was not being in the classroom with the with the guys. Like it was it was kinda I was kind of on an easy street this year. I was just riding in for our uh for our practices, being here for like two and a half hours and heading home. So mm-hmm. Like it was easy in that sense where I didn't have any other obligations, but you missed out on those, on the relationships that, that you get to build off the field. Did you f- feel like you found ways to still build deeper relationships with, with our guys this year, even though you, you were, you know, only at, at practices and games, but right. you still, I mean, there's still avenues that you probably oh, yeah. found to like make connections and get to know them, even though the time wasn't maybe siphoned off like it is right. when you're when you're a teacher and you're in the same room. Right, right. Yeah, the ban- you still don't have that banter that you normally have with the, with the kids, but um, you miss out that element in the classroom. Uh, because when you're in the school, you, you know who their teachers are too, so you can talk to them what's going on in Coach Scott's class, what's going on in Coach Matthew's class. And you'd have those relationships and you have those, those things that you can build off of. But... Um, uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Where we and, and so at Marriott's Ridge, you taught mm-hmm. history and were the head lacrosse coach yes. for seven years? Six um, years. I think seven years, 13 to 19, yeah. So what was that experience like for you at Marriott's Ridge as a head lacrosse coach and, and a history teacher at the same time? Oh, it was tough. Uh, it was tough to balance the two. You know, being a, having a full course load, at Marriott's Ridge meant you're, you're teaching about 150 kids. Um, and then also running the, the boys lacrosse program, it was... 150 kids. About, wow. Yeah, it's about 30 kids per class. Here I am complaining about my <laughs> 50 papers I need to grade. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we were doing... Um, yeah, having the 150 kids and, and also coaching the lacrosse team, at some point, you know, things start to... You know, spring becomes a little tough as far as in class day to day goes, um, but you just got to plan, and that's that's you have to plan ahead, and you know, it's just like you do for lacrosse, you got to plan ahead of what's going on in the classroom. Um, but it, it became a lot. It became um, it was kind of overwhelming as far as tr- finding time to you know, spend time with the kids at home, mm-hmm. spend time with my wife, um, 
drive an hour to work every day, have four or five classes a day, and then having time to pre- plan practice, coach, drive an hour home. And then, wow, I didn't realize yeah. you had that commute too. Yeah, it's uh, it was. <laughs> That's tough. It was tough. It was tough, and you missed out on like the daycare drop off, the um, breakfast. You know, getting, getting things together with the boys and spending time with them and spending time with my wife. So that was that was very difficult. Like I loved being the being with the program that we saw from you know from from the start until the time I left in 2019. So that was that was that was a really special experience and something that I wouldn't trade anything for. But um, but I guess I would spend trading for more for more time at home, more time with the more time with the family. But um, yeah, that, that that was that was difficult trying to trying to balance those two things and also find time to watch film and maybe like watch a show with my wife at, at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, during those years at Marriage Ridge, how, how do you feel like you like what strategies did you use to build that program in in six, seven years as a head coach there? What what specifically do you feel like you did well to make that program so successful? Um, I think a lot of what we did in the offseason helped. And as I was saying before about Jimmy Creighton and what they do in the offseason, we tried to model what we were doing off of what they were doing. Um, and it's just giving the kids opportunities to get out and do things together. Um, in, in Howard County and public schools, you can't do anything with your sticks with the kids in the offseason. So if we were to get a full group together, it would be, be to be on the track and run. So it wasn't like we're going out, we're not – we're not playing on the cross. And so that's a tough thing to do is to get that buy-in from kids that want to just get better physically. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and we started incorporating things like team handball. Like I know it's probably not the real team handball rules, but we play like ultimate Frisbee where we would just get the ball up and down the field. And we did that know. my freshman year of college too. And I always really liked, that I really liked team handball because yeah. it teaches, it's similar to playing pickup basketball. Yeah. It teaches you the same movements that, Absolutely. Are involved in lacrosse. Yeah, and our, we had terrible, terrible basketball players <laughs> on our lacrosse team there. Besides, like Patrick Clip, but uh, but yeah, we uh, we couldn't play basketball because the game would end like one nothing. Um, <laughs> someone got found and takes a free throw. That's that's like the one point. But, uh, but yeah, team handball was a lot of fun because yeah, like you said, it mimics those movements. But yeah, the off season work and establishing what those goals are for the kids in the weight room and. Uh, we would do a mile and a half run. The goal we would set establish goals. And it wouldn't be requirements, but it was like this is what you want to be able to do. Um, and if you work hard, by the time you're a senior, you should be able to do those things. Um, and they were the things that we did at Salisbury as well. It was uh, do a mile and a half run in nine minutes, um, bench your weight ten times, do twenty five dips and fifteen pull ups. So it was you know, the kids would come in and be all bummed that they couldn't do it. It's like well you're you're 14 years old. Like you haven't even taken a weights class yet, but uh, you, know, you just want them to continue to work on getting bigger, stronger, faster every year. Just getting incrementally better. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming into Gilman as the head coach, what what goals or visions do you really have for the Gilman lacrosse program that you think might need to change or might need to be enhanced or, or slightly altered in the off season, as you talked about at Marriage Ridge? You did a lot to kind of uh, motivate guys to work on their games in the weight room, on the track, off the field a little bit before the season started. What are your goals for this upcoming off season? Would you say? Um, I think it's 
you know, relating it to Mary's Ridge, there are two very different places. Mary's Ridge, we were establishing ourselves. We weren't, we weren't established. We didn't have any sort of street cred. It was trying to put ourselves on the map. Um, so that way, you know, when, when we go out and you get to May, teams are, teams don't want to play you. You're, you're not an easy out. You're someone that's going to try to make a run late into May so you can hopefully win a, a state championship. Um, moving here to Gilman, I think what we want to do is put ourselves in the position where we're back in that national conversation as, as the, as the team to beat. Um, you know, we want to be able to compete and make the playoffs. Um, you want to win a playoff game are right, two things that we haven't been able to do for a while. And then we want to win, a, win the MIA. It's, you know, you, and it's not like we want to plan. It's not a four year plan. It's, you know, we want to put ourselves in position to do those things as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it takes it takes that commitment to um, to the off season, which I think we're going to do as, as as well as anyone else in season. But it's it's going to be the commitment from the guys in the off season to uh, better themselves and put themselves in a spot where we can succeed. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that is. I mean, there are only so many hours that we have together, and and we say it all the time at practices, especially with some of the skills on the field. Like you only get so many reps at practice mm-hmm. that it, it really. It's really so minimal in terms of how much you actually need to get better at something. So I, I would, I would 100% double down on that. That it's really on guys and internally motivating yeah. themselves to get out there on their own and go shoot and, you know, go work on stick work or or get together and play mm-hmm. six on six, um, because we we really don't as much time as we spend together. We don't have that much time to actually take. You're absolutely right. Take the program to the next level. Yeah, we get about three hours with them a week um, in the off season. So, any time that we can get is it's it's as much about building culture and building like um, relationships between the kids, really, and making them comfortable with one another, as it is about us getting better as players. Um, we want to put them in spots where they can build their skills, but also, like you said, realize that reps are the reps are limited. Um, but we want to make it fun for them too. So you want to keep on coming back. So when you hit that grind come next February, they're, they're excited to play. They're not like, oh, God, tomorrow we start, you know? Um, and that's tough too, because it's such a, I mean, it's, it's so far away, really like next February is so mm-hmm. far away, but by the time it gets here, you know, you want to be able to hit, hit the ground yeah. running. I, I just remember like in, in college, doing everything possible in the fall, like grinding all fall and then going home in the winter and working on the run test. Mm-hmm. And then coming back, it's like, oh, my God. Like, it's here. I'm already kind of burnt out on yeah. the season, oh, and true. it hasn't even started mm-hmm. yet. So it's really almost doing all that and, and getting better and having fun with it, but also pacing yourself so you can you can take off at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we're trying to do right now in the, in the fall – I'm sorry, in the summer is to – yeah, you know, we want to put some, we want to install some things for our, for the terms we're doing this summer, but we want to get the guys playing together as much as we can. We don't like like you said, like you don't want to be burnt out come the new year, you know, mm-hmm. because once the new year hits, like the season's right around the corner, and it's like a it's like you're cramming for a test. Like if you're cramming right now, it's too late. Right. Um, so we just want the guys to have that that desire to continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... So what was your run test? Run test was brutal. I mean, we 
it changed every year, but my junior and senior year, I remember it was a lot of uh, 300s to the 25-yard line. Oh, that's, not, 300 that's, that's not fair. <laughs> to the 25-yard line. So if you're a little bit shorter and can change direction, it's okay. But for tall guys like me, I struggle with that. Oh, yeah. I remember diving across the line. I'm not sure if I made it, but <laughs> one of the interns was like, Jake, you made it, man. You, you dove. So, <laughs> so I think he gave it to me. But... So what is that, 300-yard show over 25? Is that is that 12? Is that what he had to do? 12, 25-yard so, sprints? Is that right? So yeah. it was a 300 to the 25. There was two 300s. To, everything's to the 25-yard line. Yeah. So it's end line to the 25-yard line. It was two 300s, two 200s, two 150s, two 100s, and two 50s with, like, time in between. Like, you're, right. you're taken to the end of that minute before you start again. But it's just so much changing direction. Yeah. And I think if it was to the 50, it'd be a lot easier because you only have to turn so many times. But you can build up your speed a little bit too. Right. Yeah. You can stride it out a little bit. Uh-huh. But for me, it was that was the trickiest part. I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. But I think the hardest part about the run test in college is the fact that you finish, you finish your fall season at the, what is it, near Thanksgiving, maybe a couple weeks after Thanksgiving, and then you get like a month and a half where you just go home, and it's dead winter, it's freezing out. You know, and you have to go work on your running kind of by yourself outside uh-huh. unless you have a small group that can get together yeah. and do it. But I always felt like it was me going out on a field by myself and yeah. motivating myself to practice the run test. That's hard. Which is it's not easy, but right. it's part of it. It's part of the yeah. part of the grind. Mm-hmm. That mental that mental toughness to get over it and you just power through. Yeah. It's much easier when you have guys alongside of you and you're Absolutely. all doing it as a group yeah but it's even better when it's like the, it's the older guys that are there that are that are leading the younger guys or the you know we get some alumni back here leading some of the younger guys that'd be great too yeah i think that's a good idea is to try to involve some of the the younger alumni mm-hmm. at gilman and just get their perspectives as they're going through you know the next step of the journey of college lacrosse and and maybe getting some of their input on some of the drills that they do and some of the running that they do in college because it changes so fast, I feel mm-hmm. like. Even, you know, graduating a couple of years ago, you probably do things totally differently than when I was there three or four years ago. Now, right. Right. different run tests, different fall season. Um, but so what did your fall season look like? What would you guys do? In the fall in college, we'd have a couple scrimmages, but – in the Ivy League, it was uh, we only had so many hours that we were on the field together practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd have individual sessions. We'd do shooting with the offensive coach. We would do, you know, the defense would do drills with the defensive coach. But it was only, I forget how many hours a week. Uh, but a lot of lifting, a lot of conditioning on Fridays. Um, Friday morning? Friday morning, which is, I actually enjoy. I didn't enjoy it at the time, <laughs> but once it's, you know, it's 9 it's o'clock done, it's and done. you're done. Yeah. Um, get the worst part of your day out of the way early. Yeah. We did something called the Oregon Trail every Friday, and the Oregon Trail was like, it was terrible. It was a lot of different workouts, and you were competing, so you were in a group of 10 guys. So there were probably five teams of 10 guys, and every Friday you would compete on the Oregon Trail. So you'd have to, you know, you'd have to run, you have to do sprints, you'd have to do burpees, you have to do uh, planks, you have to carry these chains up above your head around the stadium 
Um, you can't just like opt out to die of dysentery. No, <laughs> no, but we, we tried. Um, so, but but it was a competition. So I think that's part of it too. Is you're you're learning how to compete, and mm-hmm. you don't. I mean, you're on a team. You're on a smaller team, but you're still kind of striving, always competing, whether it's lacrosse related or not. It was it was a workout. Yeah. And do you think it was good for you guys as far as building? Uh, like team unity and culture goes? I think so because it was so terrible and yeah. you kind of have to embrace that. Right. Um, you united against somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was not, it was not easy. It was difficult, but it brought us closer together. I think during That's that, good. that fall. Um, yeah. And it's part of, it's part of the fun too. It's mm-hmm. part of the, you know, you got to get up at, at five thirty, go down there and get on the trail. So, <laughs> Man. don't have you, but it's impressive. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Um, so, what what do you think you're most excited about in terms of next year and coming in as a teacher and a coach here? I mean, it's so much of this is new. So everything's going to be new, new to me. It's going to be you know new new students, um, new subject matter. Um, and then I'll be I'll be a new coach in the MIAA conference, which is the most competitive conference in the country. You know, mm-hmm. and coaching at a school like Gilman that is that is one of the best reputations and best traditions um, in the country. So it's 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 all just very exciting. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to getting getting going. And um, August usually you're not really looking forward to the school you're starting, but uh, but I feel like this year I, I mean I can't wait. Um, yeah. And the boys are and my. My kids are going to be coming here this year. I'll have Connor in pre-K and Henry in first. Nice. Um, so it's going to be, well, we'll have the whole family on campus. Just, you know, got to figure out a way to get Brooke on here too sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what What do you think are going to be some of the challenges that we face next year um, in terms of building a team, building a culture, adjusting to a new coach, new di- new dynamic? Well, I mean, I think, that, I think all those things you list are challenges, right? You got you, you have to adjust to a, a new head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, with that said, I, I think everyone knows you this from from this year. So we, you know, the the players don't have to adjust too much to right. to your styles, given that we, you know, you gave a taste of that this year as a, as a D coordinator. Right, right. That's true. Um, I think a big challenge for us is to, you know, since we had a very young group this year, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a great season. We had a good season. Uh, we learned a lot, but I think a big challenge is going to be learning how to win and expecting to win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's an, the expectation of winning is something that I think is more important than, than anything. Like, you, you, because you're, you've spent all this time doing these things, and all these things are building towards um, having that confidence to go into the game and, and believe that you should win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not taking anything for granted, but just knowing that you know you're we're not outmatched. We're the ones that have the advantage. Yeah, the mental piece I think yeah. is the biggest Absolutely. hurdle to to get over, especially having not been there, mm-hmm. not won a playoff game in a while. Is just building that trust in each other that yeah we can right. we can win. We, we can do ex- it. We, we should, should expect to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know we have you know great alumni network. We have incredible parents a great community so um they, all the support's there it's just a matter of putting it all together and getting on the field and doing it 
Um, so, Coach, tell me a little bit about your history, background, and maybe what you're excited about in terms of getting in the classroom and teaching history again. So, um, I was a history major at Salisbury, and uh, as a teacher at Marriott's Ridge, I taught I taught a little bit of everything, um, a lot of U.S. history, a lot of world history, um, and then some other social studies classes in between there that I also worked with. But getting into rural culture is going to be it's going to be um, a lot of fun, I think. You got to evaluate um, other cultures um, as a third party, and you know, our goal is to try to do it and, and teach kids how to evaluate sources without bias. You know, mm-hmm. without like a pre. I'm sorry, evaluate evaluate sources, evaluate cultures, and um, identify like how different um, sources might be biased in in one way or another, and, and identifying that, seeing where that comes from, what's the background in that, and um, you know, trying to find that, that center ground where you find the truth in, in, in things, and especially with history. Um, I'm going to work a lot with uh, Coach Matthews in, in establishing you know, our, that curriculum and, and how we're going to handle the day-to-day. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be really exciting to, to get back in the classroom with guys every day. What did you like most about teaching history at Marriott's Ridge? Um, Given that you had 150 students, <laughs> I'll tell you what I, I liked least was the was the grading. Yeah, <laughs> that would be. Yeah, um, you know, we did a thing called History Day, which in theory was was a great thing. It was National History Day, where the kids were able to choose their topic. It was based off of a certain theme, um, and then they were to evaluate, you know, upwards of like 25 primary sources and put together some sort of project, whether it's an essay or a PowerPoint or a, or a website where they're going to evaluate that historical question that they established. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. And that process is a process I want to apply to my day-to-day teaching. Um, but that also it led to 150 history day projects at the end of the year that you had to, that was a year long years worth of work that you had to, that you had to then grade. So <laughs> that was a grind, <laughs> but, uh, I'm looking forward to um, evaluating sources with the kids and, and seeing how they you know, develop their own perspective on things and, and how even they can take their own backgrounds and they'll, they'll apply that to the source that they're reading and that it might, they might interpret it one way as well, while another student with a different background will interpret it another way. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite part. Different classes, obviously, but teaching English is just getting the perspectives from every student in my mm-hmm. class and everyone has their own interpretation of what we're reading and their own background and their own family dynamics mm-hmm. that they can bring to the conversation yeah. and I almost I try to build the class so that I can really just learn from everyone else and, right. and, and make it open to the entire class to share their own perspectives their own backgrounds how they're how they're interpreting the the text that we read yeah. Um, and with classes the size that they are here, the, every kid has the opportunity to to have a voice in that class and in that discussion. So I think that that's gonna be really that's gonna be a really special thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, personally, what type of history are you most fascinated by? What do you really enjoy? You said pres- presidents earlier. Yeah, I enjoyed the presidents, the uh, the president series on History Channel. Those were those were those were cool. But uh, my personal favorite, as far as um, history goes, would be like the World War II era. And that the lead up between the, from between the wars up through World War II and into the Cold War, um, I've always found that found that fasc- fascinating. 
Um, it initially started as just like an interest in the actual war, but then the more the more you read about, the more you get into um, what was going on in Europe, what was going on in the United States prior to the war, and then mm-hmm. then like the, between the war, I said the, between the war years, and then World War One played such a huge factor in World War Two. So it's that whole that whole span of time. Yeah, you might want to. Join me in sitting in on Kevin Hudson's classes because he <laughs> teaches those yeah. electives and he loves it. So it's pretty cool. Yes. Um, so what are your two? You said two book recommendations today. So I wrote down. I wrote down several. Um, <laughs> but you know, with that World War II, uh, Winds of War, and War and Remembrance by Herman Wilk. I, I know I'm probably saying his name incorrectly, but um, those are two. I mean, those are gigantic books that I didn't read. I listened to them audible, but, but the, he, he's such a great author and he talks and he, like, he describes like a family going through the, um, pre-World War II years up through the war. Um, and it's, I mean, it just follows really one family and like how the war like, uh, impacted each one of them, but it's, they're, they're really just like enjoyable books to read. Um, like there's tragedy in them and then there's, you know, there's also great successes, but it's, it's, it's really good, really good reads. Do you, uh, do you typically listen to books on Audible? Yeah, when I was uh, commuting, so I was commuting to Marriott'sville for, I guess, like 13 years. For 13 years, I was commuting out there, and then I spent about a year and a half going out to Elkridge when I was working with Corrigan Sports. So I had about two hours in the car a day. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was either calling my parents to check in or, or listening to uh, listening to books on the way in. Awesome. Any podcasts that you enjoy, <laughs> um, other than this one? <laughs> besides this one, um, I listen to part of my take religiously, yeah. which is nice. uh, sports podcasts by Barstool. But um, then there's just you know other ones here and there that I'll that I'll tap into from time to time. But that's the one I probably listen to most consistently. Awesome. Well, um, Coach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's awesome having you at Gilman as uh, the head lacrosse coach. I'm excited to work with you again this year. Looking forward this to year, it as well. This summer and um, and next fall as we get into some of our off-season stuff and start building building next year's team. Absolutely. Can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Bye-bye.